Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreyer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and today we will take a look at a fresh new way to better manage increasing freight rate volatility. And you may say that you have already invested a lot of money in your powerful new TMS platform, or that you're using 3PL brokerage firms, or that you have access to fancy freight rate analytics and intelligence tools, and that that's the way you make sure you protect yourself against hard-to-predict fluctuations in freight rates that can ruin your P&L. But there's now a new approach that you may also want to take a look at, and that will not replace but complement your efforts to hedge against freight rate volatility, and that's to take an insurance policy for your freight rates. ZenHedge is a startup based in the US that is building a fintech-based insurance solution that promises to offer peace of mind by protecting shippers from the financial impact of tender rejection, freight rate volatility, and other supply chain disruptions, risks that were once hard to hedge against. Our host, Jonah McIntyre, sat down with Krishnan Kandasamy, CEO and founder of ZenHedge, to dig deep into the world of risk management for the transportation industry. A lot to learn here. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us today, Christian. Really appreciate it. I've been excited to have this conversation after I heard about your business. Um, maybe to get a running start at this, can you just tell us in a couple sentences what it is that you do with your, your new company and uh, maybe how you came to see this as the problem you need to focus on with you know your one precious life? Thank you, Jonah. And I really appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, uh, thank you for this opportunity. So... Um, we started Zen Hedge uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that we knew how difficult risk management is for not only small businesses, but also large companies. And if you look at the trucking world, there's a lot of risks there. And the approach that we took when we looked at this trucking market was we wanted to keep it simple. We wanted to make it transparent and we wanted to make it uh, very user-friendly for the marketplace. And that was our mission, and we were looking for solutions that will meet those standards. And that's how we came about uh, developing the solutions that we have developed. And before I get further deep into this conversation, I think there is something that I have to mention, which is a disclaimer. Uh, doesn't go, it comes with the territory uh, if you're a risk manager or if you're in this risk management business. So I work at ZenHedge, and ZenHedge is a risk management company. And anything that I say in this conversation is purely for informational purposes, and uh, we are not soliciting uh, sale of any financial instruments, or it's not an investment advice, and we are certainly not selling or soliciting an insurance policy. So with that disclaimer out of the way, uh, I think I can speak my mind now. So thank you. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, glad, 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 glad to be on the show and uh, you know, happy to discuss more. Okay, so so just at a high level, it, it, you know, if someone were to ask me what it is that you guys do, I would describe it as it's an insurance policy for trucking rates. Is that is that fair? Is that a fair? I think it's a, I think it's a fair summary. So what we are essentially doing is we are displacing the volatility in trucking rates from the shippers' perspective, from the carriers' perspective, from the broker three PL perspective, to an insurance company. And because of that displacement or transfer, uh, it mitigates the risk for all the three market participants. So you're right that what we are developed, what we have developed is that basically an insurance policy for mitigating freight volati volatility and all the risks that cause the freight volatility in the first place. So, mm. one of the uh, when we thought of, you know, we talked about this, I was thinking through, okay, what is the offer? How's this 
how would this play if I was on the buy side, if I was on the sell side of the industry? Uh, was this immediately try to pattern match? Well, where else in my life do I, am I exposed to volatility and I would take insurance? And the standard insurance, things like car insurance are, are obvious ones, but I was thinking more like travel insurance where I, I think I'm going to go on vacation. You know, I, I want to go on vacation, right? That's the intention. I've bought uh, flights for a certain price. And naturally, I would be long. I'm, I'm going to take that vacation. So I'm going to be long on some risk of volatility around that. So the flight gets delayed. It gets canceled. I have to book a new flight. My luggage gets lost. All of these things are aspects where once I'm, once I'm sort of going to take that trip, I'm just long that risk. If that, those risks come along, that's, that's me. And... I'm not necessarily doing it myself every time, but an option I have is to take out ins an insurance policy that will cover those. So I know that I'm going to you know, pay a certain amount of money for my, my vacation if it turns out that in certain, certain classes of events happen and it's going to be more expensive, all or most of that additional cost is covered by the, the insurance policy. And you're offering a similar thing to both the buy and the sell side. So if you're, you're buying, if I understand correctly, if I'm buying trucking rates, truck, trucking services, I expect to pay $3 a mile for this book of work, this, this lane, um, or these lanes maybe across multiple lanes. And if it turns out that I had to pay $4 a mile, then I'm protected, maybe not 100%, but I'm, I'm, some of that risk has been offloaded to the insurance that, uh, policy. Is that, that right? That is exactly right. And the analogy that you used is also very appropriate. It's uh, when you buy a vacation, let's say, you know, $10,000, I don't know, John, where you're flying, but let's assume you booked a $20,000 vacation and mm. you're worried about, you know, you're getting sick or something comes along and you're worried about losing the $20,000. So you buy an insurance policy that protects you against in the event that something happens, you are able to rebook it or, you know, not lose the money. Sometimes, you know, uh, some of the travel tickets are non-refundable, right? So you make a decision and you're, you're, you're out of the money. Similarly, the same thing happens in the shipper, uh, the shipping world on the trucking side is if you are a shipper and if your transportation budget for the next quarter or the next year is, you already know the transportation budget that you want, want to target, but you're worried that, you know, given all the turmoil that may be happening throughout the year, that if it goes above a certain dollar per mile, then you're going to have to go to your management or talk with your investors and say, you know, this is something that we need an increase in the transportation budget. And that's typically something that has an impact on the profit and loss of the companies for if you're a shipper mm -hmm. site. So you can buy a policy that essentially ensures your book of lanes based on the trigger points that you want. Like, let's say, you know, you're worried about $4.50 per mile is when beyond which you're worried about it. So you can buy a yeah, policy. Yeah, yeah essentially the $3 to like three, to $3 to $4, maybe I could absorb that into my budget. Yep. I didn't, yeah, my budget has some some flex, but about $4 and it starts to become worth it for me to get coverage at that trigger point. That is right. That is right. And then uh, it, 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 it aligns itself, the insurance policy aligns itself to your risk tolerance, right? So mm -hmm. you may say, I'm really not worried about 350, I'm worried about 450. So you can buy a trigger right. point at 450. A lot of times 
the reason why we used the insurance as a vehicle to look at this particular transportation risk. Yeah, I was going to ask this in a moment. Yeah, so, yeah, why, why insurance? Why there's so many other ways to structure this, but why, why insurance? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the traditional way for the industry, uh, be it uh, shippers, 3PL, brokerage firms, and carriers is, you know, different levels, different spectrum in how they utilize these tools. But generally, they look at operational efficiencies, right? Doing things better, making the network better, having a better carrier-shipper relationships, uh, having a better uh, planning from a demand, supply-demand perspective. Those are some of the operational ways you can mitigate this freight procurement risk, if you will. The other way is using technology. Uh, you can use uh, TMS platforms, uh, firms like Transporian or firms like a lot of the digital platforms that are out there. You can do a lot of market analysis, data analysis, and mitigate the risk as well. What is missing, and we recognize that, is, is a financial way to mitigate that risk, right? Mm. Um, the technology can help, relationships can certainly help, but when the bad things happen, they are not going to be sufficient. So insurance yeah. is another vehicle, another tool to mitigate that risk. And among all the solutions, only insurance provides you a financial payout if bad things like happen. Like a guarantee, Yeah, like a guarantee, essentially. Yeah. The other two, they will work most of the time, but when they don't work, uh, you, you're yeah. still going to face the damage, right? Face the, uh, the losses that you're thinking. So Yeah, spot on. I, as I think through, how would one approach this today? So let's say that I, I was a budget owner, um, as, a, as it was earlier in my career, but was, let's say I'm a budget owner of ground transportation and I've got a weighted average expectation of $3 a mile in North America transportation. And someone were to ask me like, well, what are you going to do if it goes to four? You're right. The, the things I would have given back as the answers would have been operational maneuvers. It would have been, well, we're going to go back to market. We're going to look at changing our supplier base. We're going to renegotiate our contracts with trade-offs around, we'll be more flexible if you can reduce the price. We're going to rationalize our shipping. So we're going to make more full truckloads using you know, load building optimization, or we're going to rationalize the frequency of the stops and the deliveries. To do all these operational measures what really wouldn't have been available to me in the toolkit is a financial engineering mechanic that says, I'm going to pay for a policy to cover that risk for the next 12 months until the next budgeting cycle. That that wouldn't have been in my toolkit. And I find it really fascinating. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I find it really fascinating, the idea that it becomes available. How, how do you see this? Uh, you picked a road transportation. Can you just describe why you picked road transportation and not ocean and air, or that decision that you made, how did you come to that? Yeah, the the reason why we picked the transportation, trucking transportation especially, is uh, it is a, a large industry. Uh, it, it employs a lot of people, you know, several million people in North America. So it's a vital part of the infrastructure for the nation. And we all routinely see this, you know, there are times when shippers are happy there are times, like today, uh, you know, if you want, shippers are generally happy with the transportation outlook. Yeah, um, yeah it's got high volatility. Exactly. So, so right. it's yeah. got a high volatility there. And then it's it's an industry that we feel like the solution is very elegant in a sense that, you know, mm-hmm. this gives them more flexibility. To your point, you know, 
if a transportation budget manager has the ability to purchase an insurance for a small premium, right, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year, then it gives them or gives him or her the flexibility to choose the carrier that they want and not sacrifice based on, on operational consider- yeah, considerations. Yeah, true. It just yeah. frees up their mind space on focusing on service quality, making sure that that goods gets transport to the place they need to get transport. So I would say, you know, uh, there is a lot of risks that we should and we should necessarily mitigate. Like, for example, you know, if you're a warehouse manager, you're worried about fire fire protection. You know, you want to make sure that the Mm. warehouse is protected from fire. You will do everything possible to make sure that the warehouse is safe. But you also get fire insurance. Right. Right. Just just because you do a great job in protecting the warehouse from fire doesn't mean that you get an insurance. Similarly... You can do a lot of things from a technology side, from an operational management side, from an optimization side. You should continue to do that. But this gives you a financial uh, way to mitigate that risk, and it lets you focus on other more important things that you need to focus on. Yeah. Listening to you, I, I interpret it as you could use it in two ways or both ways. You could have it as a backstop to operational attempts. So Operationally, we want to reduce cost. If we can't reduce cost operationally or, or using um, technologies, this backstops it for a period of time. You can't get an insurance. I presume one wouldn't get an insurance policy simply, you know, for a decade. You would. It's always you're always going to eventually have to deal with heightened, you know, fuel costs or height, heightened costs. But it does provide a period of certainty where you not those co- those the costs above the trigger point are not being borne by you. So you have a period of adaptation. But the other thing, as you mentioned, that's interesting is that it also allows you in the short term during that period of ad- adaptation to not make have to make rash decisions. One of the things that happens to budget holders, logistics uh, budget holders in a volatile market, maybe where prices are going up really fast, is they have to start making choices between do I keep using the high quality service provider or do I go to the lowest cost provider no matter what? Uh, simply because I have to kind of get back in budget. And this would give you a breathing room to assess that decision without, uh, if you have an insurance policy, without having to um, to look at the immediate long, uh, financial, there's still the long-term financial, but the, not the immediate financial impact. You're absolutely right. And uh, think about uh, a relationship, right? When that happens, when you're making decisions in really quickly, there are bound to be some repercussions, not only on the right. on the operational turmoil, but also the relationship with the carrier, right? If you're mm-hmm. a shipper, you're worried about relationship with the carrier. If you're a carrier, you're worried about relationship with the shipper. And where it becomes really interesting is, let's say that uh, a shipper and a carrier have a contract. They mm-hmm. can both buy a policy to protect against their risks. Right. And what that makes is that it makes their contracts more binding, potentially, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that reduces all kinds of service quality issues, the need to go and rebid, the need to go and renegotiate, all those exercises cost money and time. They're yeah. not, you yeah. know, without money and time. So if you think along those lines, the insurance policy based on your operational financial goals, your risk tolerance, gives you those flexibility that currently is not there in the marketplace. One of the other things I find interesting is, so, so I, if I go back to the example of the travel insurance, I live you know, I live my life on the guideline of I don't insure risks if they wouldn't be kind of life-changing or significantly impacting for me because I take the point of and car uh, car rental insurance uh, is a great example of this. Like 
I've been renting cars since I was 20 or something. And I've had, uh, I believe, two times where I had damage to the car and I had to pay something. But I'm almost certain that in, in the aggregate, I came out ahead by not carrying car insurance, uh, adding the additional insurance. But as you gave an example earlier of this like fire insurance on the warehouse, that warehouse burns, that's, that's life changing. That's not a, you, you don't just sort of shrug and say, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. What, what I find interesting is uh, when I hear about a, a new capability like this, my mind starts to try to go to, well, what would the, if it succeeds, what would, what would some of the changes in the industry be? One of them would be a much more nuanced perspective of, do, are we going to eat this risk or are we going to insure it? Because right now there is no insurance option. <laughs> so you're, you know, by, by definition, everybody is sort of risk exposed and risk reactive. Whereas I would imagine that if I take the, again, the example of the, the, car, the car rentals that I've made where, you know, I go into it knowing that there's going to be a risk exposure there. And when it happens, I don't, I kind of don't overreact also the two times there have been damages to the car and I had to pay something is, okay, this was, this was part of the prepared conclusion. And I could imagine a situation, you mentioned like retendering and the, the constant like reaction to the volatility that happens in the market. I could imagine that that calms down a little bit, not just because some people have insurance insured against such volatility, but that the ones who didn't insure against it have done so with their eyes open and they're sort of, we knew that this was a possibility. We absorb the risk and we don't try to sort of after the fact cover it by, by making sudden operational changes. So it could also have that, that positive element. I, I also just mentioned, I could also imagine transactions where one or the other side requires their counterparty to carry risk, uh, risk insurance because we have that, you know, you, you get a loan for a, a house. Very often, they'll ask, they'll require you to carry certain levels of insurance on the house just just to be a counterparty of that loan. And I, I could imagine something like that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, this could have some changes to the way contracts are structured. You know, mm-hmm. the procurement contract are structured. How operationally things are done. You know, I know you said you didn't, you don't get that car insurance, but there are a lot of people who get car insurance. You know, sure. I, yeah. Granted. 10 out of 10 times, they may not have anything. But what does it offer them? It offers them peace of mind if you're a yeah. renter, right? Um, and I, like like you, I don't want to buy insurance, especially the rental car insurance. But when I go to the terminal and I have my wife and my little kid and I look at them and say, you know what, do I want to deal with this thing? You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. I would rather yeah. not deal yeah. with it. If there's any damage, I just want to walk in back, walk away, walk away yeah. and yeah. not deal with it, right? That kind yeah. of uh, peace of mind is is very, is, it has a value in and of itself. So yeah, sure. you talked about the risk managers and the risk managers, if you, and we have talked with uh, several uh, Fortune 500 uh, companies, of late the transportation procurement risk has been elevated to the CFO's level, right? CEO and CFO's level. The conversation during earnings call, uh, I, I think one of my colleagues did some statistics. It has gone up from, you know, low teens to maybe 50, 60% of the time mm-hmm. that transportation procurement risk has been mentioned in earnings calls, right? When risk managers look at the current risk of transportation procurement, they will say as a mitigation strategy, both technology and operational ways. What they cannot show is a, a financial risk insurance. They would have shown for some other risk, either a hedging solution or a financial instrument that is going to mitigate that risk above a certain tolerance. 
level. Right. This could change that. This could add that layer of risk protection for large companies. So they don't have to start worrying about it. They've mitigated it. And their investors would demand it because, you know, think about it in the airline industry. If there was one airline that did not hedge their fuel exposure and another airline that hedged their fuel exposure, where do you sure, think the investors sure. are going to find fault? If, if things go well, that's fine. But things go bad, that's when, you know, the the real differentiation happens. Yeah. I, I, I think one of the things that's been interesting with the last three years of logistic in the logistics industry is that it turned out that some businesses were speculating on logistics cost and availability when if their board, their shareholder, frankly, their whole value chain did not think that they were speculating on that. And it just, as long as I've been in the industry, 20 years now, so uh, for 20 years, you could safely assume that you could just get a logistics service you pay a little bit more. And the little bit more, except for a couple moments of real crises, the little bit more was, was, was just a little bit more. It wasn't astronomically more. Then we had a pandemic. You know, we blocked the Suez Canal. We had, a, you know, port strikes. We had, we had any number of events that sort of kicked in. And uh, you had a bunch of CEOs, CFOs on earnings calls explaining that, hey, you didn't realize it, but we were long you know, we were logistics services and that, that didn't turn out for us. So that's eaten either into our performance or it simply stopped our ability to operate. And there's some companies that just, they just simply could not bring in the materials that they needed to into, uh, into their supply chain. Uh, so I, I could see what you, I see what you mean. I, I think that I don't know if all businesses would demand it from their, uh, from their leadership, all uh, shareholders or all analysts or, or yeah, the investor community would demand it from operating businesses, but it would at least be a question of, well, did you consider it? Why didn't you take the coverage if that, if it's so important to your business? That, that's absolutely right. And, you know, we are still in the midst of it, the supply chain related turmoil. We're still in the midst of it, mm. right? We have not overcome it, even though this is a, a, a different phase of the cycle where now transportation procurement costs have come down significantly. We're not out of it yet. The insurance solution that we have developed uh, is a more flexible agile tool so you can deploy it you know fairly quickly mm-hmm. if you think about operational or technology things how long does it take to solve the problem by the time that you mm-hmm. may be encountering a different problem right to, to solve right. it so it gives that um, that agility in terms of uh, understanding where the markets may be going and figuring out a way to mitigate that risk um, oil companies do it most of the commodity companies that have an exposure to raw commodities, they do it. Um, sure. So, but in the transportation vertical, since it's such a diverse industry with a lot of big players, small players, medium-sized players, having a derivative solution is highly complicated, right? Right. And when we thought about the risks and how do we solution it, uh, so we provide a solution, we first explored the derivative solution. And you may have known about the, in 2019, we used... Uh, a derivative, or there was an, in the marketplace, there was a derivative solution available, and that turned out, right. uh, you know, it was closed because transactions were lower, and it, it just market was not ready for it just yet. Mm-hmm. But insurance, everybody buys it, right? Um, yeah. When 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 we talk with uh, let's say shippers, they instantaneously get it because they are already procuring cargo yeah. insurance. They are already providing some sort of liability insurance. 
So when we tell them, you know, hey, this protects you also against volatility that is resulting from tender rejection or market turmoil, they immediately think like, oh yeah, so then I, I can do everything I can up to a certain point, but if something happens beyond that point, I have some coverage. So that's the... So, so some of the, some of the fine grain, I'm, I'm hoping the people who are listening to this, there's a, there's a segment going, oh, that's, that's really clever. I like the idea of rate insurance, but that probably many of them are now asking the, the detailed questions in their minds. So maybe just go into those. The way, this, the way you would structure an insurance contract is with two trigger points. So you have a kind of the trigger at which the insurance kicks in, which uh, for people, say, in the U.S. Would, or, or even in Europe, would, this would be a sort of a copay or a, or a out-of-pocket expense amount for something like health insurance where the first $10, the first 100 euros or something in a year is covered by the individual. And then above that, you start to get paid. And then you've got a second trigger point at which the coverage stops. So it's sort of, you can, and you can, a person can set these as they want. So they could, they could get a policy coverage with a very tight point to point window, or they could get a coverage with very a large point to point window. Is that, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. And it offers flexibility in terms of, you know, the trigger point that you choose. Obviously, the trigger point that is closer to prevailing rates that are there right now, like if prevailing rates is $3 and you want a coverage for $3.03, we pay yeah. we either may not underwrite it or we may say, you know, like, like let's, uh, let's say prohibitively expensive for you from a premium perspective. So you yeah. can choose the trigger points and you can also choose the number of miles that you want a coverage for. So let's mm. say that, you know, um, we don't provide like individual sector by sector lanes. We do, uh, at least the currently the way we have structured it is whole book of lanes. So let's say your book uh -huh. of lanes is 2 million miles. Okay. Yeah. And the average rate on a monthly basis, it fluctuates the average rate because there is seasonality there. So let's say that the average rate that you're hoping for for the month of May is $3 per mile. Mm -hmm. right? And you can buy a policy for the month of May for a portion of the miles that you think you're going to use in the month of May and started at, let's say, $4. Mm -hmm. That gives you a stable stability for the month of May, right? Uh, so beyond $4, insurance will, will kick in and it will pay up to, let's say, for simplicity case, $4.50 up to the miles covered. The reason why right. we want to put a cap is that, you know, it's unlikely, but there is a risk that, you know, it may be $6. Uh, down the road. Sure, sure. So, and, and and by having a cap, you keep the policy price reasonable. Exactly. Right, like unlimited risk uh, coverage means, uh, high, by definition, and the insurer will expect exactly. uh, a higher policy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you can choose the, on a, on a month by month basis, the number of miles you want to get coverage for on the trigger points. So every month doesn't have to be the same trigger point. You can change it month yeah. by month. Even the miles can be so, changed by month by month. So, so a couple of questions then that, that kind of go through my mind. One, and this is me geeking out on aspects like how do you price how do you price products? But one of the things I think that is generally agreed on is that even if you have a product that has very concrete value, like extremely concrete visible value, uh, the take rate or the extract rate of uh, pricing against it is going to be something like 10% to to maybe a max a third. So if, 
if if my product adds uh, to a logistics company, if my product adds a million dollars in value a year, I'm going to be able to charge like a hundred thousand to maybe three hundred thirty, three hundred fifty, above which they start to go, oh, like you know, I'm not getting enough out of this for for it, it start they start to create this trigger in the in the buyer, but in your case, in the case of insurance, it's probabilistic, right? So, so it's not just, you can't say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a million. It's like, I'm giving you the potential of a million. Right. Um, so, it, but as you said earlier, I think you mentioned this sort of emotional aspect of, well, the buyer, emotional, the, the fear of how bad it could be magnifies that value. So I, we find in human psychology that the upside and downside emotional responses are different, yep. right? Yep. People are afraid of the downside more than they're seeking the upside. So h- how do you think about, pr- you don't have to tell us your sort of full pricing strategy, but how do you think about pricing in a context where, yeah, where it's not certain what the value is going to be and also where, you know, you, you can't extract the kind of the full amount because it because of the probabilistic nature? Right, right. So that's a great question. Uh, from a pricing standpoint, uh, insurance is is basically uh, functions in a way that we insure large pools of uh, entities, right? Sure. Large pools, yeah. and at any given time, only a subsection of the pool will get impacted, and therefore your payout right. to that subsection uh, is relatively less compared to the premium that you bring in, right? That is right. the the fundamental basis of insurance: is that we spread the risk, we collect the risk, and then we are able to provide risk mitigation solutions for only a subsection of the insured pool, and then we are able to uh, you know, price it accordingly. If, if we right. assume that the probability is 100% everybody is going to get a claim, sure. uh, yeah. we either are going to do it or you know, it doesn't happen that way. Right? Yeah, it's selling $100 bills for, for $10. That's right, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's yeah. a losing proposition. Yeah. One other thing that yeah. is, and as we, you know, my background is more on the, on the commodity hedging risk management mm-hmm. side of things. And when we started yeah, deploying, uh, investigating and doing research and developing models on the insurance side of things is that we found two things. One is that the models that are used in the insurance for pricing is similar to uh, models that are used in uh, the derivative side of risk management and things like that. So it, there is a connection there. The other issue that is there is that we, uh, you know, insurance industry is highly conservative. You know, in terms of how it prices things and how it does the modeling, uh, you may have seen you may have seen banks, investment banks, going out of business. Um, when was the last time you heard an insurance company going out of business? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, sure. As sure. an industry, we felt like that's a that's a really for somebody coming outside from that industry that we felt like that was a strong way, strong indication that this insurance solution is a much more risk-adjusted way of solving the problem, right? It is not speculative. It is making mm-hmm. something bad happens. It's making that entity whole so that they can they can continue back, go back to their life, right? That is the intent of insurance, not necessarily to make someone profitable, right? Mm-hmm. And when we looked at the insurance side of things from a pricing standpoint, we were very clear that we are not going to offer insurance policies that uh, that are prohibitively expensive. Like if it's $3 per mile that you're targeting and if you sell an insurance policy for $3 per mile, that's yeah. like that's not going to work. So we looked yeah. at the uh, what is the current 
pricing that is there for the insurance policy, maybe liability insurance policy, right? From mm-hmm. a, from a carrier, if you're a trucking company, depending on what trucks you use, what kind of equipment you use, it's anywhere from eight to eleven cents per mile. Mm-hmm. Okay, that mm-hmm. is the insurance that is getting paid uh, today, and we wanted mm-hmm. to price it below that. So our target has always been in that, you know, three to six cents per mile is our target, generally. And we we don't absorb risk beyond that. And we feel like even with that price target, we are able to provide sufficient coverage to the marketplace that they are willing to take a look at this. Yeah, as I as I listen to you and I and I introspect about how I react to insurance offers when again travel sites or car ins- rental insurance, especially for transactional elements, you're right. There's a level, but below a level, I, there's the shrug factor of just like, well, if it's a rounding error and I can insure myself, sure. Then there's a level where it becomes a considered purchase where I go, uh, that, that's where my philosophy kicks in of, well, if, if I can absorb this in my lifetime, you know, I'm, I'm sort of risk neutral in this approach. Not everybody is like this. Some people are, are risk averse and people are risk seeking, but my side, I'd be a kind of risk neutral. Well, if I can absorb this, I'll take it. If if it would be actually impactful in my life, then I'll take insurance. And then there's above some point where I would where I would really have to sit down and justify for myself, like this is genuinely expensive and it changes my, not, not just the insurance decision, but the buying decision, the, the original buying decision. And it sounds like you're trying to sit somewhere in the, between the class A and class B of, of like low enough that it's maybe not just you just do it automatically, but it's close. It's kind of close to something that you would want to insure most of your work on. Yeah. Is that is that fair? I think that's fair. Um, Jonah, one example I can give you is we did a back testing on 2020, year 2020. Mm-hmm. We used an actual customer's um, book of lanes and mm-hmm. priced it as though we were selling the policy on Jan 1st, 2020 okay. for the whole year. Okay, We, we provided right. a 12-month year, 12 month uh, coverage uh, beginning 2020. What happened in 2020? COVID, right? So the yeah, first yeah. three months were sort of okay. Then everything shut down. And the later part of the uh, year was a turmoil where shipping rates right. just went through the roof because everybody was buying online. Everything went went uh, haywire, right? So when we right. looked at that coverage and assuming that the, the particular shipper was smart enough to buy an annual policy in Jan 1st, 2020, they were able to, for a 3% increase in their shipping cost, for a 3% increase in their shipping cost, they were able to offset 50% of their variance. So the budget variance, just put it, yeah. to put it in perspective, the budget variance of a million dollars, close to a million dollars, was reduced to 400 something change, right? By getting yeah. this coverage. Now, this is an extreme example because it was, you know, it was a great time to have bought an insurance policy, and um, uh, but that's the kind of impact an insurance can have, and that's sort of what we want to do. The goal of purchasing insurance is not to expect a payout. The goal of purchasing insurance is to prevent catastrophic things from happening, so that um, you can you can survive as a business for another day, right? Yeah, yeah. We're 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 also in a, I mean, we're in a time period. I think that is a reminder to everybody of like extreme events happen. Yeah. You know, I think if there's what, one of the lessons from the last three years is sometimes when people 
warn that an extreme event can happen, it it should be taken seriously because it can actually happen. And right. that could be anything from uh, the ones that we've already experienced, a pandemic, to climate change and war. So it's not just cherry picking to take a 2020 because any number of new events, more in Taiwan, for example, mm-hmm. could recreate or, or, or uh, surpass a 2020 level uh, interruption. So so you're, you've got, you and your team have a background that is from commodity hedging, derivatives, financial engineering. How does it feel to take this to companies that are, as you, you and I discussed a moment ago, kind of traditionally staffed with people who are operators or technologists and looking at this from a, from those perspectives, how do you, how's it, how's it work? Could you talk to what's conversation feel like? Is there a lot of explaining and clarifying? Do they get it right away? Yeah. What's the feeling? Yeah, yeah, just like just with any new product, there is always a little bit of an educational phase that, that is there. I would say, you know, our experience talking about, uh, let's say, a financial instrument or a derivative, uh, that is a much longer educational time duration, maybe years, right? Whereas yeah. with an insurance, it's a known product. Everybody, pretty much everybody has to buy an insurance policy or they already know the basic contours of what an insurance policy is. So from that perspective, right. uh, when we talk with uh, transportation procurement managers or CFOs or people that are in, t- in charge of P&L, they do get it. You know, this is another financial metric. But it is still a lot of questions on, you know, okay, who's going to, who's going to backstop it? What is my return on investment? Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that question comes up, and you know, in insurance, there is the return on investment concept is slightly different because what you're you're not you, you don't buy insurance to get a payout, you know, um, yeah, right, yeah. like you, you don't you don't you don't insure your house from fire with the expectation of your house is going to burn down. You don't want your house to burn down, right? I mean, insurance helps yeah. you when it burns down, but you don't want your house to burn down. Something that you mentioned yeah. before that comes to mind is that, um, you know, right now what we are asking our transportation procurement teams are to do is to become a, basically a, a trading person. You know, they have to look at the markets. Yeah. They have to look at all those decisions. They need to read all the tea leaves. They have to understand where the market may be going every single day to make their operational decisions. We feel that they need to continue to do that for sure. But... Is that the right, you know, right mix of their use of their time, right? So the thing is, like, just like we wouldn't be stockbrokers, everybody won't be a stock trader, right? Everybody wouldn't be a stock trader and picking in winners and losers. And that's what is currently happening in, in a sense where yeah. both shippers are saying, you know, hey, I can get a better rate if I wait for two months. Uh, and the carriers yeah. are saying, oh, you know what, I, I'm going to go somewhere else because there's a better rate there. Um, so yeah. those decisions are more speculative in nature in some ways, even though you have a great analytical platform, you use all the technology tools, you have great relationships, those are all very vital. Nobody should abandon that. One of the responses that we get is like, aren't we using TMS platforms to do this, mitigate volatility? Aren't we using 3PL brokerage firms to mitigate volatility, Uh, mitigate that risk? Yeah, sure. Those play a vital role. They do provide, in addition to managing your transportation spend, um, service quality issues, take that burden off you for managing transportation. But they're also going to come back to you if things go bad for a rate increase or a renegotiation. 
So this particular solution is not going to replace what the current industry does. You know, they continue to do that, but it is going to complement the activities that they are doing. And that is the message that we want to to really have conversations that comes out as, you know, like, hey, are, are you saying that I don't need to do uh, rebidding, renegotiation? And are you saying we don't need to do any more of those market yeah. analysis? Yes, of course you need to do all those things. And the analogy yeah. that I yeah. use is, you know, just like just because you bought a fire insurance, you don't stop protecting your building, right? Same thing works here. Well, it actually complements, in my opinion, especially in the North American road transportation market, it complements very well the fact that the contracts that are signed. So let's say you, you know, to your your point here, let's say that you are your team is sitting in this suite of like super rich, looks like Bloomberg terminals. You've got freight waves. You've got the CAS index. You've got DAT analytics. You've got this uh, kind of 360 degree envelopment of data, and you've hired the whiz kids out of MIT, and they're doing all this advanced analytics and predictions on the market. And then you've got the crack, you know, Harvard uh, program on negotiation graduates who are going out and doing your sourcing agreements. Okay, you got all that. Hey, guess what? The contracts in North America, they don't have binding terms to yep. them. So so when you when you sign a contract as a buyer or seller, either either side, those are just rates. I mean, they, they, all, all they did was make it easier to work together, but they didn't mean that you have to buy. You know, if, if I'm a large, uh, uh, if I'm a large shipper, um, Caterpillar or somebody, I don't have to buy your logistics services just because we have a rate contract and you don't have to sell them to me. So we'll be both polite to each other when this moment comes when one or the other side reneges on the contract. I mean, I'll say, uh, we just don't have many, you know, loads. We're thinking about retendering. Maybe you can participate. You'll say, ah, oh, we're just, you know, we don't have any trucks available, etc. But what it really means is the one or the other side is experiencing um, the the downside of being too far away from the market conditions. So the rates are too high, too low relative to our contract. One or the other side will will break it. And the insurance concept allows you to complement essentially non-binding contracts with a backstop of, well, all right, they may not honor the contracts, but we're going to get uh, somewhere close to that as our as our rate because we've insured it. So I think I, th- I see the complement is pretty pretty tight actually. The, the the another layer of to just build on what you said is once the risk is you know when when, when shippers and carriers come together to transact, each one of them is taking a risk. Right, the shipper is taking a risk that the carrier wouldn't do tender rejection. The carrier is taking the risk that okay, I will get the load that I was promised in the contract. Right, right? they're both taking a risk, and when they price it and when they negotiate a price, that risk is actually baked into that price already. Mm. In some ways, mm. you know, the, the may not be yeah, everybody, sure. but some of them is going to basically, you know, hey, hey I, I won't go to my best rate possible. I'll just put in an aggregate. Yeah, on an it, has aggr- to be. it has yeah. to be because yeah. they they are accounting for that risk. Yeah, having this solution uh, lowers that risk premium because now what you have done is between the interaction and I and I want I would like to look at more innocuous things like you know there was a genuine reason why the carrier reduced or uh, did a tender rejection. Okay, he didn't he he misaligned the capacity or he he or she misaligned the capacity whatever right. That could be a genuine reason why tender rejection happened, and then now the shipper 
has is exposed to some uh, mm-hmm. some volatility depending on the market conditions and when that happens you know now you have a genuine way to mitigate we have just displaced this whole interaction uh, and yeah. you've displaced it to an insurance company that is going to provide you relief it may not fully provide you relief like you may, you may have to go to the spot market and pay i don't know $4.50 but the insurance covers only to $3.50 that is yeah. better than having no insurance right right, right. so insurance is going to make you whole and bring you to a point where you're not suffering those catastrophic things and that makes the i believe that it may not happen immediately but down over the course of few years once this becomes a norm the tender rejection and no tendering retendering should diminish uh, in theory because what has happened is that the interaction risk that is between shippers and carriers has now been displaced now they are not rebidding because there is cost to doing those things so just as we head towards the the end of the the interview here let me turn to the business itself to the business you're doing but what you know what i what i usually know this with uh with new co- new companies new ventures is there's a few things that that's the big bet you know you 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 there are many risks right but there's only a few a few ones where if you got that assumption right or if that one turns out right the business unlocks and it and it starts growing and so some of the, sometimes that's a technology technology risk like we don't know if self-driving trucks can be built but if they can be built i can sure as heck sell them you know sometimes it's a kind of desirability of the product of like well we built a product we're just not 100% sure if people actually want to buy it sometimes it's a distribution problem of well people definitely want to buy it but now we just need to figure out how to expose it to more people you know in a short period of time so it just at high level what do you consider to be your your big you know one two or three uh, leap of faith or key assumptions that are are behind your business that if you not if you prove those to be correct you're 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 on a huge growth potential yeah that's uh, that's the thing the start the startup question no, right the startups constantly think about it right uh, and, yeah. and 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 the an answer would change depending on the phase you know what you're what yeah. you're looking at sure uh, so i would say you know for this particular for zen hedge uh, especially we are in the business of identifying risks in companies and finding solutions that are you know simple transparent and and easily adaptable by the by the companies right that is our goal now when we looked at the trucking transportation world that is our focus right now we do have other solutions in the pipeline but our trucking industry is one of the focus that we have currently um from a risk perspective you know what is the what is the one thing that needs to be true um we do want to first you know contradictory to other solutions that are out there you know we don't have as much technology risk because it's not a product that requires a technology we are building a technology stack uh, for it but it is not as you know we know it will work the the bigger risk is for a new 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 product is customer uh, acceptance right market risk uh, yeah. and you know we are in the risk business so you know what is that is the biggest risk that we face you know customer has to buy it so that i think yeah. is is happening when we sp- when we speak with cfos and when we speak with um you know folks that are directly responsible for pnls and risk management enterprise risk management in those companies they readily get it uh, but yeah. we have to also convince the entire chain 
you know, right from the procurement teams all the way to the CFO's office because they all play a role in the decision making. The budget for this program or solution may come from, uh, you know, the CFO's office, but the transportation procurement folks are influencers in those decisions. So I would say, you know, the customer acquisition, customer um, acceptance is a risk. What we have done is we have done a lot of customer discovery, try to figure out, you know, understand what their pain points are. And we have learned quite a lot over the past mm-hmm. couple of years, you know, before we uh, before we developed this product. And, you know, we are in the, in the launch phase, close to close to launch phase. That's yeah, wondrous. It sounds like you have, yeah, it sounds like you have the old, like, uh, Marty Kagan, who's kind of famous product manager, guru guy, describes this as, you know, 90% of businesses have this risk. And it's as simple as, do people want to buy what you have to sell? Like it, it's really that simple of, most businesses fail because they make uh, an offer, a solution, a product, a service, wh- yep. whatever. Yep. They make something that just doesn't move the needle enough for the customer. And some businesses, it moves the needle, but they, they, they don't get it. They don't get the awareness. So they kind of, not enough people know about it, but really kind of 90% just comes back to, it might be better, but it's not better enough, or it might be uh, valuable, but it's not valuable enough for people to buy it. It's as simple as that. And it sounds like you're saying that that's the core risk of your business. Once you get a customer, you know how to execute it. There's no risk in kind of setting these things up. Like there's no risk that you can't follow through once it is set up. It's just, do people want to buy it? That, that's exactly right. I mean, the, I wouldn't play the, the customer acquisition risk uh, too much, you know, but the one mm-hmm. other risk that uh, we face, uh, which we have tremendously reduced, is convincing the insurance industry because this yeah. is a new thing for them too. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah. So yeah. that has taken us a long time um, yeah. to make the case that you know, hey, this is a problem that needs to get solved in the transportation industry. Yeah. And when insurance companies take a look at this program that Zen has just developed. Uh, they are looking at, hey, this is a new revenue opportunity for me, new premium opportunity for right. me, and this is also potentially uh, an add-on service. You know, I'm already selling liability insurance to XYZ logistics company. Yeah, I can t- I can yeah. top on top of this and then have another revenue stream. So this is a, from that standpoint, it is very appealing for them, and but convincing them and getting on board and that is it takes a long, long time. You know. Uh, we have overcome yeah. that quite a bit. We are almost there in that logistic, uh, you know, in that space. We are, we are, we are still not ready for sale yet. I mean, insurance policies are mm-hmm. not available for sale, but we are getting closer uh, with some large uh, insurance companies uh, in the partnership. So those are the two yeah. things I would say. You know, if uh, if you ask me, you know, just generally, I'm I'm as, as somebody who's in a startup business, I would never disrespect customers' views. You know, customer knows right. their business intuitively, and uh, we should be very, very respectful of that and make that decision. Because if you are selling something that is not really truly useful, then even if the customer is buying it, then that's not something that we want to be in. Yeah, and it's also this. Uh, I think there's this whole cycle around uh, right now. It's oftentimes uh, product-led growth, but it's this whole cycle of well, the the best ser- the best offers, the best products, the best services, be, be, the kind of the prospective customer will crawl over broken glass yeah, yeah. to get to it. And the further you get from a really great product, the more 
you know, you might be able to sell it if you sort of power wash it, like you really like really put the sales and marketing pressure behind it. But the moment you let off that pressure, the sales go away. Yeah. And, and uh, my thought experiment on this is always like, well, if you were selling a, you know, money printing machine, if I could, if I had a machine that in front of me that just printed out hundred dollar, hundred euro notes, and and we were selling that, so how hard would that? That's sort of the baseline. How hard would that sale be? And surprisingly, I think an enterprise sale, it's not actually as easy as it sounds. Like there would still be a committee and a absolutely, you know, a quarterly approval process or whatever. But but you you'd get the sale, and then. The closer you get, the further you get from that to more of an abstract, maybe it's maybe it adds value, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's better. We need a lot of people to decide. You need a technical evaluator of the money printing machine version 10 or whatever. The further you get from that pure money printing machine offer, the harder um, the, the harder the sales and marketing pressure has to be for you to finish with a with a sale. So it's it sounds like you're you're right now you're at the point of trying to validate that there's enough natural desire for the product that you don't have to power it with that intense marketing and sales effort. Yeah, so, you know, that's a very, very useful uh, information for any company, that, any company founders that are listening to this. The nature of this insurance product itself is, you know, it has to be sold. Nobody buys insurance, right? Uh, either you... Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. People, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No one's, no one's sort of like pulling it out of your hands. Exactly, hand because you, yeah, nobody yeah. gets up in the morning and saying, oh, today I'm going to buy this XYZ insurance and I'm going to feel happy about it, right? This is not a product that uh, people desire. Uh, people buy it because they have to. But in the enterprise space, you're right. There has to be those decision points that happen, but it is not going to be um, as elaborate as selling a SaaS solution. Right. there's a lot of technical right. things that needs to be done. This product would be predominantly pitched to CFOs and risk management, com- risk enterprise risk groups of the companies. And their valuation is going to be different than the valuation that, um, the, the traditional valuation that happens on the SaaS side of things, where ROI comes into play, things like functionality, uh, implementation, all those things come into play. You talked about you know implementation risks there. I'll talk about how the way we have done it. You know we are we are providing a parametric solution. When anybody thinks about insurance, they always know how painful claims processing could be, right? <laughs> uh, like oh you got to come, you got to go. If, if you have a funder bundle, you need to get three quotes, and somebody comes in, it'll take me maybe months. Sometimes they get rejected. Whatever. What we have done in this solution is it's a parametric solution. So just because we have done it using trigger point. Everybody, everything is transparent. We know what the trigger point settled at. So yeah. it's complete visibility to the insured and the insurance company on what exactly is the exposure. We don't need to send the claims people to look at you know what what yeah. what happened, right? We want to do what we're planning to do is quick claim settlement. If there is a trigger, it should happen a few days after the month was done. So that yeah, gives us yeah. a much more streamlined way of mitigating the risk. So if you buy something, you can you can uh, you know if you're if you buy for a quarter, let's say, and you had that trigger, what this insurance is going to pay out, and you're going to offset your operational expenses with this insurance payout, and you're going to maintain your PL, right? So that is yeah, the elegance yeah. of behind it is how simple we can make the claims pay, pay amount process is. You still have to go through some checks and you have to say, you know, yes, you did have this 
loss and those kinds of things. Yeah, to avoid fraud. Well, to avoid fraud and, and moral yeah. hazard, right? Yeah. But um, yeah. but from a claims processing perspective, parametric insurance that we are we are developing is that we have developed is 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 much more simple than traditional yeah. indemnity insurance that are there. Well, it's been a super interesting conversation, which I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, telling us about it. Maybe we'll check back with you uh, sometime later in the year, or next year, to hear how it's how it's gone, how it's developed. Absolutely, Janet. Thank you for having me on this call. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. All right. That was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Krishnan from Zenhedge. If you enjoyed today's show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgendreer. Until next time. Bye.